Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. Sweeping legislation aimed at tightening security in Hong Kong has effectively snuffed out political dissent, with activists either rounded up or fleeing to other countries. It has a huge impact on other areas of life in the city, including the arts. This year, more laws will be rolled out. Hong Kong's chief executive John Lee insists there's a constitutional duty to press ahead with additional security legislation in 2024. Many young Hong Kongers have expressed discontent and indeed may wish to protest at such developments, but there are significant risks involved. Some people have used the creative arts to express themselves, and their story is told in a powerful new documentary about the recent history of the city called Hong Kong Mixtape. I'm delighted that its director, San San F. Yong, joins us on the podcast this week. San San, welcome to China in Context. Thank you for having me. So in a minute, we'll discuss your film and the artists that you met. But as it's a political film, I want to start with a question about politics. What do you think lies behind the decision by Hong Kong's leader, John Lee, for the city to introduce its own national security law in 2024, four years after Beijing imposed similar legislation? I guess we have to fundamentally look at the difference between failed attempts in the past and now, which is essentially that now they can. Uh, you know, there is very little opposition. You know, if you look at any voices that may have caused any dissent or opposition, they are all effectively silenced now. So, of course, the you know, the government is able to where it wasn't before. And, and what we do know is that the stated aim is that it's going to plug gaps gaps in the current legislation. So we predict that it will be worse in the sense that the national security law at the moment criminalizes four crimes uh, and the proposed legislation will likely criminalize up to seven and we don't know what the language will be. So unfortunately, it does seem as though it will be more stringent. Well, according to Hong Kong Security Bureau, by the end of last year, 280 people had been arrested and 30 people convicted under the national security law, which Beijing brought in. Tell us how that's changed life in the city. Well, I think it's impossible to understate like how living in a constant state of fear uh, can be for any individual. I mean, it's essentially silenced uh, debate. There are, you know, the law hasn't just targeted high profile activists, it's targeted everyday people, you know, from cartoonists to people chanting at, at slogans, you know, at football rallies. Um, it, it's intentional. It's it's to give you the sense that it truly can be anyone next. Um, and so, you know, this is a city previously known for its raucous civil society, its lively debate, its lively press it's undoubtedly transformed every aspect of life. Um, so as you know, there are hotlines to inform on each other. You worry about speaking aloud in restaurants. Uh, you're fearful about posting online. Uh, jokes are illegal. Wearing the wrong t-shirt is illegal. Being uh, loitering at a significant site, this can obviously get you arrested. So, you know, this is, um, this is undoubtedly a very different Hong Kong than it was before. You know, and even if you were a very neutral business person, you have to admit that it's affected everything from property values to business investment. You know, I mean, the, the city is transformed. 
I found your film Hong Kong Mixtape very moving. You included footage which you shot during the massive pro-democracy protests which rocked Hong Kong in 2019. There were hundreds of thousands of people out on the streets at that time calling for greater freedoms and more autonomy from mainland China. It must have been frightening to see the police responding to those protests with batons and tear gas. But in the film, you also suggest it was exhilarating. Can you tell us more about the emotions that those events generated for you? Did I suggest it was exhilarating? Um, perhaps. I, I, don't, I don't think I see any clashes being exhilarating. But there is a power in and in, incredibly moving to see seas of people coming together in unison. Um, and these are people who were historically disparagingly called uh, politically apathetic. You know, I mean, the, the, the slang that was often used about Hong Kongers was, you know, a Kong pig who was only concerned about their own family finances or their own aspirations. Um, and they weren't engaged in, in society. Um, and that just proved to be completely untrue, obviously, when you see seas of thousands of people coming out earnestly to, to say what mattered to them. So it was profoundly moving. I was proud of them because, you know, in, in all honesty, for many years, they had tried to engage in, in various different ways and the authorities had really given nothing back. They had not engaged from students who were trying to negotiate with them in 2012 to, to people who were politically trying to engage with them, literally in the legislature. Um, so yeah, it was incredibly moving to see perseverance in the face of um, very little return. Now, a key theme of your film is the way in which young people in Hong Kong use their creativity as part of their political protests. You interview dancers, a rapper, an illustrator, and a performance artist, among others. What drew you to tell their stories? I think I can only make films about people who inspire me. Um, and that's just, you know, a, a personal preference. Like, I, I, you know, I can't spend years watching people who I fundamentally are not moved by. And, and what is more moving than somebody who responds to the time they're born in with such incredible resilience? I mean, these are people who would have been making comedies or writing love songs if they hadn't been born in this time. Um, and, and, you know, as an artist, you inevitably respond to the world around you and that they did so with such incredible talent um, and incredible strength was very moving. You know, actually in the years running up to this film, I might've been making current affairs films and I might've been covering a, you know, a particular event or a particular campaign. And actually the thing that was always most powerful rather than the actual political campaigning, it was on the side where a kid would draw a flower on the wall or a graffiti artist would, would make a piece that would go viral overnight. You know, we're, we're built as humans to, to respond to these things more, uh, much more so than any overt political uh, campaigning or slogan. You know, we're, we're built to respond to stories and emotions. And for me, that's obviously what moves me. Now, I don't want to spoil the film for anyone because it's worth seeing in the cinema or online if possible. But by the end, we can see that many people left Hong Kong once the protests were over. And I assume that you've also left the city. Does that mean the end of the protest movement? No, I mean, not at all. I think that it's fair to say after the crackdown and certainly during the exodus, there was a sense of a communal despair, I would say. 
Um, and I would frequently have conversations with people about this, this despair, this de depression they found themselves in. But I think ultimately, you know, people are feeling that responsibility to those who can no longer speak. And so what you find is people who are in the diaspora feeling that it's their responsibility to keep speaking on behalf of those left behind um, because they're not able or simply even just to live their life to the fullest um, in, in honor of that. You know, there's, there's strength in staying and there's strength in going. There's no right decision. It's just based on your own personal circumstances. Um, but obviously the people that are continuing to do the work uh, on the global stage are, are, are being very effective and, and will continue to do so. Do people who choose to leave Hong Kong and live abroad feel guilty about their decision? Of course, yes. I mean, there is a very real sense of diasporic guilt um, and survivor guilt. Um, and perhaps that is also something that's true of a lot of immigrant stories, that you feel um, a sense of having abandoned your place or you feel a sense of growing dislocation between your home and your new home. Um, but of course, you know, what's exciting is seeing the strength of people gathering together in, in all kinds of cities all over the world. Um, you know, if there's a Hong Kong event in Toronto, in San Francisco or in London, uh, the thousands that come together is, you know, is something that's very empowering for everyone. And actually what's exciting is seeing new stories come out and new identities growing from those diasporic communities. So uh, I'm hopeful that that's, that will, that will continue to happen. Now, there's another element to the government's approach to keeping law and order, and it fits in with the methods which we've seen in mainland China, and that's patriotic education. John Lee has said that this year Hong Kong will roll out patriotic education in order to lay a good foundation for national unity and solidarity. What do you think that means in practice? I think it's a continuation of what is already happening. I mean, we've already seen textbooks rewritten. You know, Cantonese learning is giving way to Mandarin learning. Uh, library books have been purged. You know, Xi Jinping thought is being taught both to officials and to younger people. Uh, it's not uncommon to see flag waving ceremonies in school, uh, you know, um, even with for very young children. Um, there are literal juvenile re-education centers. Um, that are in existence and being built. Uh, we know we know from previous detainees that um, when they were arrested, if they were under 18, they were schooled on the errors of their ways before they were released. Um, so I think overall, it means that younger children will inevitably feel closer to the mainland, perhaps um, as we go forward. Um, that's obviously why a lot of families decided to leave because they didn't want to see their children being taught in that way. Um, but I think, you know, it, the long term, the plans for the education sector is in line with what they're planning for Hong Kong in general, which is to absorb it into the mainland, into the greater Bay Area, so that we are more aligned with uh, a regular mainland city. And we know from other SAR regions that, of course, the desire for harmony and unity is paramount to the Chinese Communist Party. That would be very true for Hong Kong going forward. So reforms on the education system would be a priority. Well, having watched your film, it struck me that the authorities in Hong Kong seem to want to change the way people think. For example, certain slogans and songs have been banned. I wonder, will the 
uh, optimism, which your generation experienced in 2019, soon be erased from Hong Kong's collective memory? I would describe the optimism as perhaps being from a time before. I feel like 2019 was characterized with an optimism that had been replaced with a more uh, realistic call for more direct action. Um, and so I feel what happened in 2019 was a, a coming together for, for what many people called the last stand for Hong Kong's uh, way of life to preserve the freedoms that existed. So I feel like that is a harder thing to disappear than perhaps optimism. I think, you know, I would argue that efforts to erase memory have had success. Uh, notably, of course, many young people in China have no idea what happened in Tiananmen, for example. Um, so I think that if you can erase, disappear, rewrite history, it will have some measure of success. But I would posit that Hong Kong has a different history. It has a different collective memory. And I'd argue that it's hard to put a genie back in a bottle in a city that was so open for so long. You know, culture, identity, memory, art, it's, it's like water. It flows with surprising strength, even when underground. Well, thank you, San, for using your own creativity to tell Hong Kong's story in such a fascinating way. That was San San F. Young, director of the documentary, Hong Kong Mixtape. This podcast is made by the SOAS China Institute in London. You can find out more about our courses and research at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team. Thank you.